he had hope. He, Abraham, against hope, believed in hope. Uh, he exercised faith in the priesthood and he offered prayers for the welfare of others, including prayers for childless, childless women, and they would conceive. Like how you would, I mean, for me, that would be really hard and kind of bitter. Like, why does the Lord, why do your blessings work for everyone else but me? Why, you know, why does the Lord love them and not me? I mean, I guess that's just natural, but yet there didn't seem to be any of that. And I just loved all of that about how he just was so faithful. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could have been that way, if I am that way. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I, I love every little tidbit, everything that we learn about Abraham through this book. It, just just that little part right there is just i could ponder and, and dwell on that for for days thinking about um how how loving and, and kind and and what great power he exhibited in building zion there on 64 under that heading live in my presence it says god's promise to abraham seemed impossible of fulfillment yet abraham continued to believe that the promise would be kept as did sarah like they how long, like how long are we tried? I don't know. And, and the Lord just wants to know that we will have faith. Mm -hmm. I, I just, especially, I, I just, go ahead. Especially when she hits menopause. <laughs> yeah. Like I couldn't believe they still had faith. Even then I just, I would have been like, well, that's it. <laughs> Yep. it's just it's just i don't know i was amazed by that mm -hmm. kind of wondered too if the lord didn't let sarah kind of problem solve and that's where hager came in yeah mm -hmm. it's i mean it makes it sound like they kind of said okay it's not going to be fulfilled the way we thought mm -hmm. it have to be fulfilled through hagar until the angels came and told them differently it was like okay maybe this is how it's going to be fulfilled and we have to live with that but. and even yeah and the angel even had to come to abraham and tell him yeah this is what needs to happen and they still had faith okay maybe this promise was just meant for abraham and i'll be the adoptive mom or whatever <laughs> i'm your first wife and it's not my child i mean just that faith to continue to believe okay it's just going to happen differently than we expected and mm. because of that faith it happened the way they expected in a time they didn't expect. Yeah. I love in 165 where it says they continued in patience until you perfected. Mm -hmm. And then right there, I don't know, it's like three paragraphs from the bottom. Such striving for perfection is in fact the only road to Zion. And then I, Q Nibley gives a quote and I highlighted that. Yeah. Yeah. Zion isn't just the, the structure in the process of building, but it's the actual perfect city that we're allowed to come in as we uh, incorporate and, and perfect ourselves. So that brings my, my next point here of one uh, well, talking point, I guess, of uh, 164 and 165. What does it mean to be perfect? And how do we misunderstand that as Latter-day Saints? Um, a, a lot of times, you know, we, we put that off as, oh, it's not attainable. Like this, that's just not a thing. Um, but there, there's 
quite a few different prophets, apostles that have talked about it, you know, uh, Elder Holland, be perfect eventually. Like it's a process that we're, we're striving for. It's not out of our reach. And uh, through the Savior's Atonement, eventually we will become perfect. Um, those that, that attain it in this life through calling and election, et cetera, uh, and work along that path or in the next life. But um, we can be perfect in small things and, and work our, our way up. Uh, that's the whole process of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel, that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, the only fully perfect one in his mortal sword, sojourn, that, that we can attain that. But, but I find that that's such a, a foreign concept to, to so many people uh, in my family, in the community, what, what have you, that, that perfection is just, uh, it, it's not for this life kind of a thing, like kind of don't even try. <laughs> Well, and it's so different that, and I've been learning this, I've been on a journey of my own learning this, that that's in our culture, I think it's like, oh, all of my kids went on missions and all of my kids got married in the temple and all of, we've done this and we do this and we do this and this, then that's what, as a young person, I thought, oh, that's like a perfect, like that's Zion. And now now, as I'm older, I go, oh, that's not at all what this is. I mean, look at all of the trials they go through and their attitude and their love and their sacrifice and their de devotion and dedication to the Lord. That's what it is. It's not naming all my kids did this perfect thing and we have this perfect family and we do all these perfect things. No, it's the trials and still staying faithful to your covenants, right? Mm-hmm. And, like it's totally different than what we portray a lot of times. I, I can't help but to think that President Nelson really wants us to ponder and think about Zion and to prepare us to become a Zion people. And that the examples of Abraham and Sarah and what he told us to do these last six months, right, was all in preparing us because he knows what's coming. This is part of our process as Latter-day Saints under him as a prophet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and aren't we all so excited for Next General Conference? Like his challenge this last time to, to study Abrahamic covenant, to let God prevail and all those principles and how we've been implementing that and studying it. I don't know, I'm going into to Next Conference so much more uh, knowledgeable and my uh eyes and understanding opened like man there's there's so much more i'm i'm so ready for his next challenge and his next message and 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 what the the fruition of those those challenges are i, I i'm so excited for that that's the thing um kathy that i have i kind of have learned is like i can't take responsibility or yeah, responsibility for my children's decisions, whether they're good or not. I can only be responsible for my own. And I think that's part of Zion. Like, you know, I have kids that have done wonderful things. And then I have that one little scenic root taker, right? And it's okay. And I've told all my kids, even when they were little, like, I'm so proud of the decisions you've made. And they're like, well, you taught us well. And I'm like, no, I know I taught you well, but you still have your agency. And that's yours. I'm, I can't claim that you got married in the temple. That's not mine to claim. That was your choice and your agency. And 
And likewise, I can't claim my son's um, waywardness. And that's kind of what we're learning here about Zion is we just have to take responsibility for ourselves and for our own perfection, not the perfection of our children, right? Well, yeah, and just, and the example of Sarah, like it's so amazing to me, that example of Sarah and Abraham, that they were so committed to each other, even through, you know, having these these problems and 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 how it comes out in the end and like Stephen or Stefan however you say your name like I I think the prophet's just he's saying you know get the get a testimony of these things you're going to need to know these he doesn't I don't think he would say it unless it's going to really something we really need to know he's not I don't think he's just like oh by the way you might want to study you know mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, and you see things so different as you go through your journey of life. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So that leads us to the actual establishment of the Abrahamic covenant that we, that we know and love. So um, as uh, the Lord then appears to, to Abraham, and uh, it's different because the last time was in heaven and and this time he comes to earth to um uh, to converse with him and bestow this this covenant um but he he says walk with me and be blameless and then um changes his name and and bestows upon him um the where are you that he, that he seeks um so on 164 is where he he appears and says walk with me and be blameless and then um it talks a little bit uh, for like a page and a half and then on page 166 um the the joseph smith translation of genesis 17 is the actual abrahamic covenant there uh then at the bottom of 166 he he changes his name uh, from Abram to Abraham, and um, then seals that in on page 167. Don't you love the meaning of both his names? Yeah. Exalted father, father of a multitude. Like, I just, I love that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, um, you know, we, we know this, and it's one of the things we often talk about in, in Sunday school and stuff, but uh, uh, the changing of Abram's name and of Sarai. Uh, she is, let's see, where I've got so many notes on my page. Sometimes it's hard to actually read the text on it. Um, should you do Father of the Multitude? It's in the middle of 167. The paragraph starts in the mother of this community would. Oh, that's why I was on the wrong page. Um, yeah. So, and as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, but her name will be Sarah. And um, Sarah, which connoted royalty and denoted that henceforth she would be a princess for all mankind. Um, I, I think that that's just so awesome. He would become the father of a multitude of nations and she the princess of the entire world. And um, if you have not read uh, E. Douglas's Clark's other book, Echoes of Eden, where it directly compares and contrasts Adam and Eve to Abraham and Sarah. And um, uh, interesting to note here, uh, the titles that are, that are given to Adam and Eve versus Abraham and Sarah, uh, princess of the entire world versus the mother of all living. And, and what those, 
what that means for for us entering into the covenant and all of that that entails i won't spoil that whole book for you you can go and read that yourself but (laughs) um it's just amazing all of the the many blessings of the abrahamic covenant you know we've been studying little things here as abraham has is having specific tests and trials in order to bring little parts not little by any means but but parts of the abrahamic covenant into his life but here is is kind of the bestowal of the the promised blessings that they've been waiting for and yearning for um it comes after his uh, apocalypse up to to heaven and um just amazing the, the timing that, that happens here and um that that this is right before um the whole uh actual bestowal of that with uh melchizedek coming to sarai and and that before they head on to to sodom but um anyway one of the questions that i that i have here on on page 166 is the the question why is circumcision such a huge part of the abrahamic covenant when it's given to abraham and what does that mean for us today? And, and what's, what's the, the lower law versus higher law principle of this? Because um, anyway, I think that's a very misunderstood concept of the Abrahamic covenant. You know, we talk about priesthood, posterity, promised land, the three Ps of the, the Abrahamic covenant, but uh, it, it's so much more than that. And circumcision, because it's an uncomfortable word and uncomfortable topic, it usually just gets pushed aside. And so what is the purpose of circumcision? Like, what does the Lord tell Abraham here on page 166? And what's kind of our, our modern equivalent of, of those same um, blessings or promises, I guess you'd say. So um, on page 166, in, uh, toward the, the bottom there, and I will establish a covenant of circumcision with thee. And it shall be my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations. And, and this is the purpose that they, that thou mayest know forever that children are not accountable before me until they are eight years old and thou shalt observe to keep all my commandments, etc. cetera. But um, it, it tells just above that, that um, the idolatry of the fathers, etc. that, um, they had taken unto themselves the washing of children and the blood of sprinkling. Um, and we see that repeated in the Book of Mormon, that, um, again, they, they corrupt the church and, and start uh, baptizing infants and the sprinkling of infants kind of thing, that this seems to be a common lot of uh, idolatry that Satan incorporates to, to throw us off kind of a thing. But here, it's so important to the Lord that, that children are not accountable until um, age eight that he establishes circumcision. And, and I, I don't know, I just find it intriguing and um, interesting to, to pull forward that this comes from the Abrahamic covenant. This is why he's establishing parts of, of that, um, that circumcision comes from, from this direct experience. Well, Cameron, on the 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 children are supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. Well, the symbol of Christ is the number eight. I think that's uh, plays into this. Um, 
why at age eight? I mean, day eight that they're to be circumcised. And it's a symbol that they, those children are his until they become accountable. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. Isn't it interesting that so often how Satan adds that in by making parents fearful that their children have died without being baptized and and he's always just full of fear, right? And just mm -hmm. fear mongering. Yeah. It, and, and you know, circumcision is very much a, a fear not principle. Like if if you've got the Abrahamic covenant and you're faithful to your covenants those children born in the covenant, you don't have to fear about them kind of a thing, you know, like <laughs> it's faith, not fear. But yeah, and then it, it kind of expounds that and, and takes it further, um, like on page 170, just at the very top in that first uh, couple sentences there. Uh, the church father Ambrose said that bodily circumcision is a sign of spiritual circumcision. Therefore, the sign remained until the truth arrived, the Lord Jesus arrived, who circumcises the whole person in truth, not a minor bodily member in sign. He abolished the sign, he installed the truth. And um, I, I find that uh, concept so intriguing, the, the spiritual circumcision. Uh, there's a few scripture references to the, the circumcision of the heart that we're supposed to undergo. Um, and so that when we yield up our broken heart and, and uh, contrite spirit, that we are leaving our past self behind. The, the things that, that hinder us, the natural man tendencies, everything that, that we've done throughout each week or, or prior to baptism, that um, we, we leave those things behind. It's a death as to self and it's a new being, un, uh, uncumbered by um, the the wiles of satan kind of a thing that that spiritual circumcision is is you know you throw that out in in sunday school it's going to get some cringes but um that's that's literally what we're we're trying to do each and every week remember remember the covenant um and and make sure to 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 practice that that cutting away of all that is bad and and um natural in our lives so that we can come and and accept his will I think that's a, a huge principle. I loved that Abraham didn't even wait. <laughs> yeah. And that to emphasize that in the Jewish community, the circumcision's done early in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that, like, I don't know. My cousin's wife's father had to be circumcised at 50 something and how painful that was. And he had anesthesia and the recovery. And, and yet here's Abraham, what, in his 90s? And he's like, okay, yeah. I'm ready. Let's go do it. And then proceeded to circumcise all the eligible males on that very day, not later in the day, but immediately. And that just stood out to me, like how often, like, um, you know, I wish I could remember. I'm so bad at remembering scriptures and things, but the story where he said, here are my Lord's, I guess it was the savior. Here am I, Sani, right? Mm -hmm. In the preexistence. And how often are we like, here I am, I'll do it. I'm here, pick me, mm -hmm. I'll do your will. And Abraham just being such a great example of that, of, of the savior, you know, that was a huge sacrifice. 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Janet in, in group A uh, said, well, anyone who can circumcise themselves deserves translation. Go for it. <laughs> kind of a thing. But like, I, I was like, did he really do it himself? But it does. It says he circumcised himself. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's can you imagine man right there <laughs> without anesthesia? Mm -hmm. One one of the great things was that the principle that we also learn is is that it's never too late to convert. Mm -hmm. And what a what a great thought, uh, because Abraham once again shows us that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this wasn't just a a test of like the the Isaac test on on the altar you know it wasn't like oh I hope an angel comes and stops me here this was like about true conversion like I will do this because the Lord requires it and it shows the greatness of all the people that Abraham had converted up until this point they willingly just did it I mean it, it wasn't just Abraham but all of these these men uh, entered into to the same covenant and and took that upon themselves as well uh, with the same haste that Abraham did their love for Abraham their love for the Lord uh, shows great charity has said uh, all of that wrapped into one there I, I find that that's a interesting principle of of Zion that when our leaders speak we we act quickly um, you know how many times have we found in especially in this last year that you know, <laughs> well, if I don't agree, then, you know, I'll, I'll do it someday kind of a thing or whatever the principle may be. But, you know, when, when the prophet says study Abraham's, uh, you know, jump on it <laughs> kind of thing. How, how quick are we to, how quick are we to observe and, and what blessings does that yield? Uh, it gives us the gift of discernment. That's a, a huge blessing to, to have, especially in these latter days. And, and on the next page, it says, the first and formal of first and foundational law of Zion is obedience. Mm -hmm. And on my mission, I remember learning that that the first law in heaven is obedience. Mm -hmm. And I love on 70 at the near the bottom of that full paragraph, it says that um, not only did he not hesitate and thought neither of reward nor pain, but obeyed with eagerness and joy. So it wasn't like, oh, okay, guys, let's get on with this. But it was like, oh. Just the joy of that I get to make this covenant with Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. That that part really reminded me of just the things that we do, especially like with the temple garments and the word of wisdom and some of our, the things that we choose to do. It says, um, he persuaded them with kindly words, explaining how fortunate they all were to be singled out by God and, and, and invited to keep this new commandment and I think so many times we hear people like why would you want to wear a garment why would you you know not want to drink coffee but really how fortunate we are to be singled out and invited to keep this commandment I I love that wording mm -hmm. yeah for where, sure where was that Libby that's at the bottom of 170 Yeah, so right in between footnotes 93 and 94. And then to think this happened on the day of atonement. Oh my goodness. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I think that everything is so, I mean, 
God is so amazing at how he patterns everything. Um, just there's so many symbols and parallels and patterns and repeats all throughout history of all of these different things. And um, yeah, it's no coincidence. This is on the day of atonement and, and what that means to us and um, looking forward to the, the second coming of the savior and uh, all of that. Yeah. I love that. Um, just before the pandemic, I gave the last talk in sacrament meeting before everything shut down. And it, I can't remember what talk I picked from conference, but I didn't really want to talk about it. It was kind of a weird talk. And I decided to kind of change it over to the phrase waiting on the Lord. And when, and I just had this thought about Abraham, the whole talk was about, and actually my friend who is a professor at BYU and teaches Hebrew said I was spot on. Uh, for the definition, but when we think about waiting on the Lord, I think a lot of times we think about sitting at a bus stop and waiting for him to arrive. You know, it's like, when is he coming? And, and actually where the Hebrew word means, like when you go to a restaurant, you have a waiter. What do they do? They serve you. And perhaps waiting on the Lord, like Abraham and Sarah were doing for this this promise and this covenant was more about serving the Lord during this waiting period, rather than just sitting on the bus waiting for him to show up. And I think that's a way that Satan, um, what's the word? He just kind of neutralizes us is we just think, okay, I'll just wait for the Lord. When is he going to tell me what to do? When in reality, like Abraham, he, pitched his tent in the middle there so everybody he could serve everyone and even after he was circumcised he said well bring the people here and let's serve them and help them and when they said well nobody's here he's like well I'll go find him in his recovery time so he's still waiting on the Lord by serving the Lord and that was the example of his whole life was not waiting for the Lord to serve him but serving the Lord in his waiting. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that's Satan's biggest thing with the 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 faithful Latter-day Saints who attend church, etc. It they they get lulled into a, a sense of of waiting at a bus stop kind of a thing. You know, like, oh, we'll we'll build Zion when the the call comes kind of a thing. Not that we can do it in the meantime or whatever, but yeah, just a, a sense of passivity and oh, well, uh, I'll wait until I get further light and knowledge. I'm not going to take that step in, until I get a confirmation kind of a thing. And even Elder Bednar alluded to that in his talk, like how many times just because we haven't been telling you to prepare doesn't <laughs> mean it shouldn't be happening. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we do, people are like, ah, they're not talking about it anymore. We don't need to be prepared, you know? And it's just kind of the same thing. Like people are just waiting to be told rather than being proactive mm -hmm. so anyways that just came to my mind about what a great example abraham and sarah are of waiting on the lord by serving his children yeah and we'll see in chapter nine after sodom and gomorrah get destroyed the reason they move is because no one's visiting their city anymore and so they're like well we we can't just stay here and not preach to anybody we we gotta pick up and move we gotta go to beersheba 
like <laughs> it's <laughs> all right let's pick up and go <laughs> kind of a principle it, it's amazing uh, how how he always is waiting on the lord in that way and isn't that back to that scripture that if you have a desire then you're called to the work right and they're like mm-hmm. we just want to do this we want to build zion so we're called to the work let's do it i really love that it's a thing uh favorite quote out of Russia when they rededicated the land up in uh, St. Petersburg. And I won't go into the story, but the very, very last of the story, because of the miraculous way it happened, the apostle turns to President Browning and says, "Uh, nothing in spiritual in life is a coincidence. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very good quote. All right, so transitioning into these three messengers that come and visit, what interesting things did you uh, pick up and learn from from this story that uh, you might not have previously had or that were just refreshed and and exciting um, uh, from this interchange here? Before we move on, can I just... Yeah. Am I unmuted? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... um, at the beginning of when we started talking about the circumcision, you asked the question, I forget how you asked it, but we don't have, we're not required to have that circumcision in our day. But I, I think that I liked how Libby brought up about the temple garment. I think um, we're given kind of a, not a clue, but we're kind of given this in the temple when they show the the open up to the veil and they're talking about the the marks and the the temple garments and what is the word that is is used it's not circumcision but it says there's circumscribed and i i think because those marks are the things that um make up the to the tools that you use to make this circle and the tools that are made to make this square. And so I think that there's a reason we have that in our temple garments is to remind us of this very thing. I don't know what your feelings on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That was something that I kind of talked about in the other two groups as well. The 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 difference between the words circumscribed and circumcision, and and what those uh, what those mean. It's a it's an interesting word study to to take on. Wow, I really like that. Thanks for sharing that to your mom. <laughs> yeah. All right. so with regard to the three angels that come i mean it's there's several things that are interesting one is angels don't typically hang around let alone sit down and have dinner Mm -hmm. let alone have long discussions and then go hiking off to wipe out a city so (laughs) it's it's you know very different than come down tell you what we're supposed to do and disappear Yeah, for sure. Interesting how this pattern plays out. There's a lot of times when there's three messengers that come and give further light and knowledge. And um, this was what they had been seeking for forever. And they had almost, 
not given up hope on it, but, um, you know, Sarah had entered menopause and, you know, it was kind of a, a, a laughing matter in, in the fact like, oh, well, these people don't know that <laughs> I'm, I'm too far gone. You know, the, the blessing is obviously fulfilled in, in someone else or whatever have you, but that further light and knowledge is the light and knowledge that they had been seeking, not just random knowledge, but um, uh, when we're ready to come to the Lord, he's ready to come to us. And then he sends messengers and, and they uh, either point us in the right direction or give us uh, full on the, the light and knowledge that we seek. I think that that's an interesting pattern uh, in, in threes. And, um, you know, just like Peter, James, and John, here we have Melchizedek and, and his two counselors or, or whoever have you uh but uh i find that very interesting and then we have the the three nephites who are translated uh as well going along and, and doing that that same work uh to to preach and and bring blessings and the further light and knowledge to to the inhabitants of the earth and how that's a, a blessed um uh requisite or um, a petition of the Lord to, to be translated so that you can do that, uh, be those messengers that, that come and, and bestow that light and knowledge to people. But yeah, I, I find it all interesting, but, um, you know, we, we talk a, a lot about this in, in Sunday school. Anytime we're talking about uh, Abraham and Sarah, this story usually comes out where she's standing at the tent door and she laughs and etc. whatever. But I had never put this in it, um, the, the symbolism here, in 177, um, in between footnotes 164 and 165, um, that the visitor replies, yes, you did laugh. A casual reading of the story in Genesis may leave the impression that the visitor is simply insisting on being right and decides to argue the point and have the last word. But a different impression comes to light in the identity of these visitors as hailing from the city of Enoch. And um, this visitor's not prone to argue or, or reason or whatever. So is anything too hard for the Lord? Um, and, and that this is all a sign for Sarah to, to know who these people are, because, um, you know, it, it supposes here maybe that, that Abraham already knew and recognized who, who this Melchizedek was, but but Sarah needed a, a sign, a confirmation uh, kind of a thing in, in this and, and how loving the, the Lord was to, uh, to present this in this way with, with Melchizedek. I, I found that very interesting. And then the parallels here on page 178, where um, Sarah and Mary, uh, a future um, of posterity that, that again, we have some of these same patterns and principles coming through in uh, multiple elect women in the scriptures. I found it very interesting in, in the middle of 178 that Sarah is a seer. She's a prophetess in her own right. And uh, just quoting here, um, footnote 174-ish, um, and as faith opened spiritual vistas of new visions, so Sarah's prophetic powers were such that as Jewish tradition remembers, she was also known as a seer. She foresaw Israel's history and prayed to God to assist them in their tribulations. She as well was allowed to view our tribulations 
and her heart yearned for us. And so she prophesied many things and, and wanted to help. I, I found that that was a interesting thing learning from, from this book that, you know, Sarah, I got to know Sarah so well through this book. I thought I was getting to know Abraham, but you know, yes, there's no Abraham without Sarah. This woman was so great. Uh, her, I'm so excited to, to meet her one day and, and just get to know um, more about her personality, the things that, that weren't in the scriptures or left for us to know that we could just get to know who she was and, and what role she, she played in our redemption here in these, these last days. So yeah, transitioning to the, the next mission. So you have all of these great blessings, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, the re Abraham's recovering from the circumcision, and then the great promise of posterity. Like Sarah's actually going to conceive. This news is great. Now we're going to go destroy Zion, but we'll be back. Uh, I, destroy Zion. Whoops. That's a Freudian slip. <laughs> um, destroy Sodom, and then we'll be right back. Abraham's response to this is so telling of his character. Like he drops all forethought of all of these great things that he was just promised, drops to his knees and just petitions the Lord on behalf of these, these wicked people. Like he doesn't have to do that. Like they're going to get destroyed, but I mean, he's always trying to build Zion and it's like, Oh, but if I can just, have one more month with them almost kind of a thing. Like I can, I can, I can do this. You know, it, he is almost kind of feeling like, Oh, I failed these people. I didn't get to them soon enough before they are, are going to get destroyed. Like, man, this is so awful that he's totally forgetting his, his own blessings. He could just be, well, okay, you've, you've got your mission. You're, you're going to destroy him and, and I'll just rejoice with my wife here in, in our home about this good news that you've just given us. I, I don't know. I just, I just love this whole section here. And um, it's interesting. I, I, I want to read these parts from 181. I think this is, this is huge. Um, so yeah, chapter seven is my favorite one. And, you know, I, I shared on the bottom of one of my pages, this is the most important part of the whole book. Yes, that that's the most important part for me. But but this is the single most important sentence for me um, that he will be inquired of by his children. So I'm going to start up a little bit earlier. So toward the top of, of 181, God actually appeared to Abraham. This is a remarkable fact considering what was on Abraham's mind. For Abraham was about to question the Almighty and even negotiate with him over the fate of the Sodomites to whom he had been a friend. Abraham was much exercised, and God not only paid attention, but he went to the trouble of coming to earth to hear his friend Abraham in person. Our Heavenly Father is much more, is more liberal in his views, stated Joseph Smith, and boundless in his mercies and blessings than we are ready to believe or receive. He will be inquired of by his children. When I first heard that, I can't even tell you, like... <laughs> it's hard to even describe, but the, the sense of, um, 
joy and and gratitude and, and charity that like washed over me when that sentence penetrated my soul he will be inquired of by his children um that that was so huge that was a monumental paradigm shift for me i mean yes we we pray to him we receive answers etc but this is this is so telling of god that he not only you know, took the trouble of hearing the prayer and, and answering kind of a thing, but he, he took the trouble to come to earth and, and talk in person to his friend, uh, a friend who had already qualified for that um, type of a visit, and that he will be inquired of by his children. So that, I'm, I'm going to jump forward to the homework assignment for, for this next week. Um, moving forward, the homework assignments aren't necessarily study this or study that, but putting this stuff into to action, becoming like Abraham. And this week, um, I, I extend the invitation to, to pray as Abraham did with all of the intensity of your heart for the world. So here he, he prays on behalf of, of Sodom. It's, it's a wicked uh, place and, you know, they, they deserved what they got. Um, on page 183, Abraham's example invites his Latter-day Saint descendants to do the same for today's world. And that, that, that was very curious to me as, as I was reading this part. It's just at the very bottom of 183. Gordon B. Hinckley declared, I heard President Lee say once to a congregation in Europe that we of this relatively small church could become the few who save the world from destruction as occurred when Abraham bargained with the Lord concerning the cities of the plains. Tremendous is our responsibility and great and marvelous is our opportunity as sons and daughters of God. So this week, pray with all of the intensity of your heart for the inhabitants of this world, the wicked inhabitants of this world. We who are going to, to, to see some of the worst things happen to, to this great earth that, that we love, but we can become the few who save the world from destruction. We have it in our power to not only call upon ministering angels, but to be ministering angels, to pray for those who can't pray for themselves, who, who are so far gone that, that, that are in uh, perilous situations that they can't escape. Um, we have a tremendous opportunity to be saviors on Mount Zion in more ways than one. And, and half of that is through prayer. President Nelson has been trying to get us that um, as we, we pray for, for those to, that are looking for light and knowledge to, to be able to find the missionaries, that the missionaries can find those elect that, that need uh, the gospel message in their lives, that the, the gratitude, that everything that President Nelson is trying to get us to pray for is along these lines, just in different words. And so that's my invitation for you that um, this week, make a point to, to find the words uh, and let the Holy Spirit uh, guide you in those words as you petition uh, for the people of this earth. Uh, that was kind of pointing towards uh, last week when the, the assignment was to, to study out the, the different prophets that have petitioned or, or prayed over the world and what uh, blessings they received for uh, the future posterities or, or for the inhabitants of, of the world.
anyway, just throwing that out there. Um, I, I think that that will, will greatly enhance and um, bring untold blessings into our lives and, and the lives of, of those around us as we actually start putting this Abrahamic covenant into practice, becoming like our father Abraham and, and moving past ourselves and, and having that charity for, for all, even the wicked. Cameron, where was that last quote you read? That was really beautiful. Um, from President Hinckley quoting President Lee, <laughs> mm -hmm. a double quote. Um, so at the very bottom of 183, um, and then on page 184, the top of 184. Okay, I see it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a game changer for me as I was uh, reading this this book, uh, just penetrating uh, reassurance that that this is a, a way to, to help kind of thing. Um, so yeah, talking about that, that experience here, uh, like on page 182, when, when he is kind of bartering with the Lord over the inhabitants of, um, of Sodom, uh, it's very interesting uh, how that, that plays out, uh, going from 50 to 45 and 40 to 10. Um, when it when it says that uh, the Lord ceased speaking with Abraham at, at a certain point, I can only imagine Abraham in that moment going, "Oh, did I did I go too far?" Well, I, I'm still praying, <laughs> kind of thing like that. Just another uh, kind of characteristic of of Abraham that he's willing to to. Uh, barter is just the wrong word but you know to to reconcile i think is is a better word there uh, reconcile with the lord for for other people um on page 183 uh another good word deliberation um uh, as it says uh, in between footnotes 214 and 215 um that he loved him enough to be questioned by him about the fate of fellow mortals in this scene that according to one scholar seems not so much a dialogue between a mortal and the almighty, but rather a deliberation of the heavenly council over the fate of mankind. I, I love that, that phrasing there and, and how similar that, that points to our pre-mortal council and the, um, the, the loving charity, compassion, chesed, that, that must have been exhibited in the heavenly council as we are planning um, and preparing for our mortal missions. I always wonder the fact that Abraham couldn't find any righteous, does that reflect his determination and his success in gathering the righteous out already? And even those that were righteous perhaps were translated too. And so rather than it being uh, like there's righteous people that are gonna be killed in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, that they were already gathered out, which is reflects on his goodness and his diligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I had never put that there, that 
you know, maybe there were some righteous in, in Sodom and they'd just been um, brought out already. That very intriguing. I, I love that idea. But that it attests to, to Abraham's diligence and faithfulness in going out and finding those people, not just waiting for them to come to him. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that in that example of um, not being passive but being aggressively engaged in the work of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, Libby uh, put in the, the chat um, that that really struck me for, I have felt such a desire to pray for justice. Abraham was such a great example. Yes, for sure. It, it's intriguing how the spirit guides our prayers. I, you know, I, a few years ago is when I kind of learned that principle, how to pray by the spirit. Like it's not our own words, but, but oftentimes we should seek what words we should pray for. And then we just become a mouthpiece, a conduit for the spirit to speak through us kind of a thing. I found that very interesting in how uh, Libby says here, a desire to pray for justice, uh, specific things to pray for. I, I love that. I've been praying for the righteous, so I need to change my prayers because I've been saying protect the righteous, but mm-hmm. I guess I'm not saying the right prayers, so <laughs> that's kind of good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I pray over my family and, and stuff like that, but but never do I pray over the wicked. Like, uh, this that's a whole new paradigm shift for me. Oh, I pray for the wicked, but I haven't been praying righteous things for the wicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> send them that send them that that those that have set traps and ensnares for us will be caught in their own traps and snares and that it will turn on them i mean (laughs) i I want just to protect us and maybe be a little more um kind-hearted towards them that maybe their hearts will be turned righteous rather than they're trapping themselves <laughs> i love that that's funny i don't know why that struck me but that was really funny <laughs> well isn't that in the book of mormon about how how they set their traps but then they end up killing themselves and being in there i want to pray for that because i don't, i also pray that our home will have the spirit and that all those that are righteous that enter will feel that spirit but those who wish to do harm that when they feel that spirit they'll be repelled and will flee mm-hmm. a very interesting principle that you brought out i was trying to find it i was like what page is that on it's in isaiah decoded that i was reading just earlier today um but it, it talks about that that principle it's an internal principle um but that anybody who who does set a, a trap or a snare for uh, for covenant people that it does end up coming back on them with King Noah, um, the antichrist, that's how he actually, uh, falls, um, and, and things is because that that's an eternal principle that the Lord brings around. Um, I think it's also in Leviticus, isn't it 25 or six where it's the blessings of keeping the Sabbath day holy. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I find it interesting as you read that and you realize what President Monson was trying to teach us by the protection he was offering us by keeping the Sabbath day holy and how many people felt that it was a treasury. When I read that in Leviticus, I was like, I want to claim this for myself and my family. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I want these blessings, but yeah, no, it is an eternal principle and maybe I shouldn't pray for it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, so uh, we've already got our, our homework assignment. So uh, popping back, just what are uh, any final thoughts and stuff? We've, we've went a little over time, but uh, any, any things that we didn't cover that you'd like to, to talk about really quickly before we finish up for the night? I'm just really grateful for Abraham's example and, and bringing this book to our attention to learn and study so much about Abraham that we don't get out of the scriptures, that we can draw on other people's knowledge, not just of this faith and, um, and about Sarah and what an example the two of them are. I'm just, I've just been really overwhelmed with their love and their faithfulness and their devotion not just to not just to heavenly father but to each other yeah very much so thank you um and then just a, a quick reminder on uh our, our two announcements that um i i did have the time wrong for when eagle douglas clark the author is coming on march 21st um but instead of 6 p.m it's it's 7 p.m mountain standard time uh, it's 6 p.m. Arizona time, but they don't have the daylight savings time change and everything. So um, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, March 21st. And then uh, quickly to um, uh, pop over to our my Isaiah schedule. I did revamp it. It's a new one. Um, so let me pop that up on the screen really quick again. Um, so it's going to be set up much like this book club where we're all studying the same thing at the same time instead of separating out into different classes. Uh, we're keeping the same times for the most part, Sundays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 8 p.m., but the Tuesday group does move to Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Hopefully that doesn't lose everyone, but um, Tuesdays just don't work well for me anymore. And so um, anyway, this is, is how we're doing it. The first nine weeks, we're going to all be studying Isaiah Decoded together. And then uh, the final weeks are the book of Isaiah, uh, the different translations side by side, etc. With the the first class that we were going to do, the visualization class, um, just kind of uh, scattered throughout all of these ones, um, so that we can get Isaiah in context there. Um, the only book that's like full on required is is Isaiah decoded uh, in whatever format, uh, audiobook, whatever you want to read it in, but. Um, the other one, uh, I'll have the, the slides and, and things for, for class time. Um, it, it is going to be a little intense. We're, we're studying those pretty quickly compared to, to most study groups, but um, I, I think that those are gonna be a, a fun class to, to study with y'all and get different insights. Um, yeah, any final thoughts? I seen that Elle just posted on here. Um, Love your enemies, pray for them that despitefully use you. Yeah, that, that's all right along that, that principle that we we're, we're talking about there. Yeah, I need to repent. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so do I. All right, well, if there's nothing else, it's, it's been fun. I'm, I'm so glad for, for everyone that shows up and has excellent comments and, <laughs> and, and studies this out with me. Yeah, it's, it's been so fun. Anyway, we'll see you all next week. Bye.